When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Oh my god! Oh my god! Oh my, oh my god! You guys, it's almost October. Oh, our our decorations are already up. My what? It's funny, Katie. I was like, can we put up? We bought this like wreath yeah. that's got pumpkins and uh, you know, black. It's like scary kind of jack o' lantern mm-hmm. faces and whatever. Mm-hmm. And I was mm-hmm. like, oh, we have to. It's the last thing we have to put up. And I was like, we got to put it on the front of the door. Mm-hmm. And Katie was like, can we wait till October? And I was Katie's like, why? Like, Can you not be such a freak about this holiday? And you're like, no, I cannot. The I house must. is yeah. the, the house is completely decorated already. And she was like, we can't show the neighbors our power level yet. You're like, you're like, I'm just waiting to flip the switch, kid. I just gotta wait. Just I can't wait. I straight up can't wait. I'm so excited. All right, dear listeners. Today's episode is the beginning of our Halloween special series. On the history, folklore, philosophy, and science around demonology and demonological what? ideas. Whoa! Which is going to be Whoa awesome. there, it, Slim. That's some <laughs> dangerous stuff we're playing with. It, it is a subject I hope that Forrest is absolutely terrified right now for our safety. That's <laughs> Scott and Forrest are just like, No! I have a feeling uh, they're pretty much like that all the time anyways. With I, they definitely are. They're always <laughs> the at least more, slightly worried about yeah, us. Yeah, with the, the earthly realm in yeah. us. Generally. Yeah, it's, it's pretty rough. I mean, we're not, you know, we're not exactly the safest. So, <laughs> so, in the name of science. That's true. Right. That is absolutely true. So <laughs> before we delve into this episode here, mm-hmm. I wanted to give a quick shout out to one of my favorite podcasts, the Breaking Math Podcast. So Breaking Math is seriously so good. If you are someone who didn't like mathematics in school, but now likes science, likes, you know, sci-fi, all that kind of stuff, Breaking Mm -hmm. Math is definitely for you. And so uh, Gabriel, one of the hosts, gave us some quick five facts about black holes. Loving it. That that they got while researching for their subject or their series on black holes called Into the Abyss. So, all right. Here they are, Marie. You ready? I'm ready. Lay it on me. Okay, number Here one. Number one. The idea of black holes goes back into the 1700s, where it was hypothesized that objects could be so massive in this universe that light can't even escape them. Light can't even escape them. Isn't that crazy, though? The 1700s, the first... Like, when we think of black holes, I think we tend to think about kind of Stephen Hawking yeah. and... Right? Yeah. The yeah. 1700s. Okay. Were they called black holes or were they called something else? It's like of you, something else. It's like you're psychic and reading my mind. It's like I am. They used to be called dark stars. And what? in fact, the term black hole was thought to be too scandalous to be used. Really? Which is hilarious. Dark star, I think, is a Bowie album. Yeah, it is. Nice. <laughs> so black That's holes. And black, it's a Bowie album, y'all. It's so good. It's like, it's I think good. it was his last Bowie album. In fact, it was his last album. I think so, yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. Black holes are said to have hair. And uh, that's funny. Like David Bowie. Yeah. So they, so the, actually the message he sent me was black holes have hair. And then in parentheses, ha ha ha. What are we in high school still? Uh, There's, (laughs) there's three ways that their services are described. They used to be thought of as having no hair or in other words, they were perfectly smooth and featureless. Mm -hmm. However, it's been proven that due to the fact that they have very high entropy, that they're not smooth at all. They actually have, you know, quite a bit of disturbance on the surface. Hmm. Which is interesting. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay, this one is this one is hilarious. This well, one. You should also describe what hair is in a black, you know, in like in that term in that context. Well, if you want to find out, go listen to the Breaking Math podcast, Marie. Oh, that's true. Oh. <laughs> okay. All right. Number okay. three. No, number four. Number four. Oh, number four. Oh, sorry. Okay. Black holes emit radiation. Uh, even though they take in radiation, they actually do emit radiation as well. So this, this type of radiation is named after Stephen Hawking. And what occurs is the virtual particles literally pop into existence in pairs near the event horizon, 
When that occurs, one virtual particle can fall into the black hole while the other one will actually escape. That is some crazy stuff. The event horizon is crazy stuff. Yeah. And so when it escapes, it's never annihilated by its twin, which usually is what occurs with virtual particles in the vacuum of empty space with a net energy of zero. And any Uh, good sci-fi, including uh, Star Trek. 100%. Evil twin. Always evil twin. Evil twin out there, and it's got to go T. And that's the hair, and that's the hair. That's the hair, evil (laughs) twin goatee, except in this, this round, this reality, you're the one with the goatee. So you are said evil twin. And somewhere out there is, is good Chris. <laughs> and so this, these virtual <laughs> particles are known as Hawking radiation. Murray, I consumed good Chris in the womb. Um, okay. <laughs> and then number five. It is proven that black holes will eventually evaporate. Aww. And they say that really? that's, that's not even the weirdest part of that fact. So Strange. That seems like they shouldn't, they would have too much energy to evaporate. Uh, honestly, black holes are a complete mystery to me. It's why I leave it to guys that are way smarter than me. And that's the folks that were at Breaking Math. Yes. If you like, if you like their podcast, go, ch- if you like that, those facts, if you like that kind of stuff, if you really like the hard, you know, you're listening to our show and you're like, man, I wish these guys would shut up about demons and aliens and get back to the science. They need to be wonkier people. Then you need to get on a breaking math. It is so good. Go listen, and it's it's run by a couple of great folks and uh, just a wonderful show team all around. Breaking Math Podcast, check it out. Welcome to the Mad Scientist Podcast. Demon. Is that what you're bringing? That's well, it's so hardcore. <laughs> Demons. 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 Okay. So a little bit of flavor text or flavor info for the listeners here. Oh, God. Demonology is seriously my favorite paranormal topic by far. It is the one that I have, I have had the most, the longest fascination with. Like, I like UFOs. I think UFOs are probably the most oh, likely to fine. exist. They're okay. Yeah, they're yeah. whatevs. Whatevs. Yeah. UFOs. Demonology, I absolutely do not think exists at all, but I find it fascinating. <laughs> I think it is. I think it is. It's so intricate and compelling, and all of the stories and all of the mythology and folklore around it are so uh, so deep and interesting. And they scared me so much as a kid that I am just I am so oh, drawn really? to it today as an adult. Yeah, it's terrifying. Is that why? Because it's sort of like it's sort of you know it, demonology when you put it like that is almost like any other mythology like you could study greek myths or you could study you know um just so stories in the same way and they don't have the same lure and the same sort of fascination as demonology does for you is what yeah. i would guess no so, so y- is because you were is it because you were scared as a kid because of it i think it's uh, yeah i think it is because i was so frightened as a kid when i was so when mm. i was a little kid i was i was weirdly religious as a little kid Aww. and i don't i don't yeah i mean you know, there was like, I, there was a non, there was a non, unsub, there was a substantial portion, I would say, of mm-hmm. like the third grade where I was like, I'm going to become a priest. Oh, and I am, but the, Coxwell. but That's the, but the reason That's I wanted to become That's a priest, uh-huh. the reason I wanted to become a priest, Marie, was so Some that I could, yeah, yeah, oh. so, so I could be John Constantine. <laughs> Like, I, I straight up was like, I'm going to be Constantine. You're like, forget all of this mass. I don't need to go and press flesh and meet the, you know, the people coming to my church. I want to excel. You know, I want to, I want to, I want to cast demons out. And no, yeah. I want a comic book. When I, like, I, I was the kid that was like, well, okay, it doesn't seem like I'm ever going to get near enough a radioactive spider to get powers. But it, but if my mom, my mom seems to believe this church stuff, so maybe I can get powers that way. So I'm doubling down. Right. And then when, and then when that kind of fell through and I was like, man, there's a lot of work there and it doesn't seem like anyone's got any real powers. I was like, I'll just defer back to science and go the Iron Man route maybe. Uh, so, <laughs> kind of the history of Chris as a superhero or supervillain, depending on how the cards, mm. you know, how the dice mm. roll. That's some good stuff. Anyways, That's some good stuff. Yeah, so I, I do think that it, I do think it really does compel me more to learn about it and read about it because both because it's it scared me so badly as a kid that you know I was certain that this stuff was real. 
I was I was so certain that, you know, uh, you know, it's one toe out of line. Put, mm-hmm. Like I, I was mm-hmm. so afraid about what was it that made someone get possessed by a demon. <laughs> like legitimately, now that was like, like no, I'm just na- giggling because I now- love that. That's awesome. You're all like. Everyone else was like, well, do you believe in Santa Claus? And you're like, forget Santa, man. Here's my words. Here's right. my concern, people. What Does about that- Beelzebub? <laughs> yeah. Everyone's like, oh. So, uh, so all the I, other second graders are crying. Keep going. Yeah, absolutely. So I, I mean, so really, if you like, if, if you were to come to my house and look at the, kind of the books that I have, you know, there's a good portion of like science books and whatever and all that other stuff. But there is there is a pretty large section that's like Christian, uh, Christian mythology, you know, uh, wow. de- you know, demon folklore, devil folklore, angel folklore, stuff like that. It's because fascinating. I, I find it so interesting. Yeah. Now, Marie, yeah. you were te- you were telling me hmm. that you kind of had a funny, hmm. you had kind of a funny relation to this too. When someone in your family found out you were researching this. Oh, well, yeah. Well, I mean, yeah. So the the husband is not he's not happy with any of this right he doesn't necessarily <laughs> here's the thing here's the thing I'm so like, sorry no sorry he's like only 50 50 with the podcastings to begin with in some right, ways no, I'm right, right. he's 100 percent he loves it <laughs> but um so we are not necessarily a practicing religious family and I think I myself was not you know uh kind of raised religious with any type of one way or the other he himself his mom and uh his dad divorced but they they, you know kind of lapsed catholic and so i feel like i feel like when you kind of get catholicism you get you start to mainline any of that any of that catholicism you have a more of a uh a focus or sort of a tie-in to the myth the legend even if you are not practicing you kind of have more of a of a story around things like oh, yeah. that. Do you know what I mean? I feel like, I feel like you can, you know, Episcopalian, born again, um, you know, Judaism, you start to get more, more stories and more myths and legend, but like the Catholic church is just, they are really good with like building, building a narrative, building a story, creating a characters that are kind of, I mean, like, you know, the exorcist, the mm. nun, Mm. Most recently, all these sort of, you know, really easily identifiable horror, you know, scary as all get out uh, characters. But yeah, so Paul's like, "Ah, seriously, are you guys like, how long are you going to be doing this whole thing on demonology? And I'm like, I don't know, a couple months. You know, it's like, (laughs) Chris's entire life. Chris is, yeah. I'm like, we're going to have to go and dig Chris out. Um, (laughs) But like, even in college, like, I took a whole, whole. was it like like it was a year long class mm-hmm. on uh, the representation of devil in the arts, right? Like, so you have devil and the devil in music. You have the devil represented in literature, and what does that mean? And in in actual art, um, you know, painted art, all the way up to like modern, post uh, post modernity, ba ba ba. And it was like fascinating to me. So I think there is something that's really. Uh, intuitive and interesting to people about the idea of uh, what something that's bad or something that is the opposite of what is the common norm and what does that what does that opposition or that mm. adversary represent and mm. why is that why is that so alluring even to this day even though we all know better right even though it's it's very binary and it can be very constricting like that whole thing I think to people is very like ooh that's that's some good stuff. And it brought us metal, right? Which if is you just... want to talk about music and genres, it brought us metal. It sure did bring us metal, mm-hmm. Marie. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Which is fabulous. So I, yeah, I, I am, um, fortunately, I've got the door closed. I told Paul we were just going to be talking about cats again. <laughs> good. Okay, good. We'll, we'll stick to that. <laughs> so the first thing here for this series, what do we mean by demonology when we're talking about it? Yes. We are looking at this... And we're looking at these mythologies specifically from the Judeo-Christian history, mm-hmm. or the Judeo-Christian uh, kind of background. Other cultures, other religions had ideas of, of evil spirits or spirits that did, you know, were tricksters that did not have 
the best interest of humans, you know, at heart when they made deals, made packs, whatever. But kind of the line or the distinguishing line between a demon and an angel that is present in Christianity is not, or, or in Catholicism, Judeo-Christian religions, is not necessarily present in, say, you know, Buddhism or um, Zoroastrianism or any of these other religions. Shintoism, Confucianism, yeah. Right. Yep. So we are definitely, we are looking at this specifically from the viewpoint of uh, sort of a, a Judeo-Christian viewpoint. Now, yep. King that, James, King yeah. James version. <laughs> yep. And that is really the predominant view of demons that we have in the West, which is part of what, why I think is it's so funny or it's so interesting when you have people that claim that demons, um, demons exist or evil spirits exist, but then they say that they are non-denominational or that, mm -hmm. you know, they fight evil spirits, but they themselves are not Catholic or not Christian or not whatever. Um, I find it fascinating because it, it brings up that ultimate question of, well, what do you, what? Like, <laughs> what do you mean? Like, you know what I mean? You, you, yeah. I get it. There's yeah. evil spirit or whatever, just general disambiguation, evil spirit. But a lot of the tools, a lot of the tricks, a lot of the methods that they use then to specific, you know, you got to pick a lane. Exactly. You have to pick a lane, I think, in some ways with this stuff. Well, that's like if you like with Dracula, right? It's my common trope that I brought up like probably a year ago on the show with Dracula. It's like, would Dracula have the same aversion to the Quran, assuming mm -hmm. to the Holy Bible, right? What's like, is it tied to a specific denomination of faith because that's what's called out in the story or is it the idea of faith itself? Right. So just for the sake of the fact that, you know, October at least how I look at it is only a month long. You know, Chris, notwithstanding, it's like 90 days in Chris's world. But we're just going to try and focus in for the next for the next calendar month on a smaller, more commonly um, commercialized, more commonly, I would say, socialized idea of demonology. Sure. Is that fair? I, I think, yeah. I think, it's again, it is important to kind of focus ourselves... Now, mm -hmm. hopefully, we will someday get to things like, say, the gene, uh, jinn or genies. You know, yes. uh, we'll get to things like the kind of darker spirits in, uh, you know, Buddhist or Shinto or uh, yeah. these other kind of religions. But for now, it's Judeo-Christian. Okay. So. Okay. The beginnings of demons, if you look really at the earliest kind of records of something like a monotheism or really just any religion generally... There really wasn't a distinguishing. There wasn't a. There wasn't a distinction between a good spirit and an evil spirit, or a good god and a bad god. There were gods that, gods were almost, you know, almost ambiguous to the doings of humans or what effect they had on human lives. You know, they. There was a god that maybe was in charge of say storms on the water or something, <laughs> but that might be the same god that was in charge of say rains that brought crops, you know, and brought food to your civilization. So there was this kind of dichotomy between them. And it wasn't only, it was only until later with monotheism that they were really split apart into say a, uh, a, de a definite evil and a definite good. Right. And so kind of, I think the example or a good example of that kind of idea would be say like the, the personification of the Lord of the dead in religions, like say ancient Greek or mm -hmm. uh, Roman, right. Mm -hmm. Uh, yeah, and like Greek and Roman religion or uh, gods were very human in their appetite and their behavior as well. Right. Like they were very motivated by and being with people. So their idea of good or evil was not necessarily as, I don't know, I want to say as like broad reaching or as epic as sort of what a monotheist a monotheocratic god is like Zeus did not he even though he was you know the king of the gods or the the all father of the gods for the Greek religion was not necessarily good or bad he was just sort of a uh an old white dude with a beard right well so he yeah, knocked so up I, a lot of chicks right well I think th I think the distinction is that not everything Zeus did was by definition good yes that's right, true. good and evil existed yes. outside of Zeus's personification or ideals. Whereas yes. with monotheism, everything that God did, by definition, is the good. Yes. And so that's where you get this idea of, well, you, well, 
you know, God brings a tornado to your town. Well, there must have been a reason. And you shouldn't question that reason. That's where we get right. this idea of things like, say, the book of Job, where, right. you know, God is testing you with yes. hardships that may seem like evils to you, but are actually ways to strengthen your spirit or whatever. Yes, I'm as poor as Job, but I have not his patience. Right. So yeah. uh, what's interesting, though, is as kind of monotheism, uh, specifically Judaism, started and really started to grow and spread and become dominant in its region, its geographical region, in order to bring in new converts, in order mm -hmm. to bring in new people, um, and this is true of Christianity as well, of course, in order to bring in new people, especially with Christianity, they you still had to leave the fun in, you know. So like, so you know, you had oh, these, you had these yeah. celebrations, like say the the Yuletide celebration. Yeah, where, you, have to, you have to reappropriate this stuff, stuff somehow, right? right. You can't it, just ignore it, right? And so you you don't you didn't want to basically take over a civilization and then make everything that civilization did evil, right? You wanted yeah. to try to incorporate the good things. Total low adopter rate on that. <laughs> you wanted... did not test well at all. No, it didn't go well. You know, so oh, you, so you, Constantine was like, "Ah, oh, no, let's not, let's not do that again." So you wanted to kind of bring in some of their ideas, but then the ideas that you wanted to get rid of, even if those beliefs persisted, like you, you had to have some explanation then for what were they doing before your religion came along. So, you know, for thousands of years, your family and your forefathers and your entire community has been, has been worshiping this God that you've called, you know, Baal, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. And in your language, Baal means Lord, right? Mm -hmm. It's the Lord's name. Mm -hmm. And, you end up uh, you end up taking this idea from these people right once you take them over mm -hmm. you you take them over and you say well actually that god that you were worshiping is actually a devil so your god your your god yes. your god exists your god has been here this entire time existing mm -hmm. alongside our god but you people have been tricked by the devil ball mm -hmm. and really you should be, you should be worshiping our God because <laughs> our God's got a dental plane. <laughs> you know, what I mean? like, uh, he's, you got, can't... he's got the one true faith and yeah. he's got dental. What? Right. And I mean, look at your teeth. Right. So, um, <laughs> so, and so what they started to do then was they, they took a lot of these old gods and they would turn them into, uh, into basically demons. And that's really where our beginnings of demons come from. Right. So, yeah. Um, one of them anyways. So, uh, anything so, that was difficult to, or hard to explain too that didn't fit in the dichotomy, right? Like if you have a God like Dionysus or Pan, right? Yeah. Who was the Bacchanal, who was revelry, who, who, uh, was madness, who was like, you know, kind of this chaos. Well, you know, that's, you can take some of the good, like the, the, um, ecstasy right the idea of the the idea of i want to say the ecclesiastics i don't know if that's the right eh. you're gonna have to edit this <laughs> it's fine because i'm making stuff up no but the, the idea of like the ecstasy and the idea of religious ecstasy can be tied very closely back to like a the drunken revelry of greek and roman bacchanals but you can't have a god who that's that's their gig and have them be good right. and have adherence to law or adherence to a single God either. So you have to kind of, you know, to your point, you have to, you have to figure out what's, uh, what's the better bet. Absolutely. And so a huge portion of actually the demons that we're going to be talking about in later episodes mm -hmm. come from these, or we believe at least, you know, uh, scholars believe that, their their kind of genesis comes from these older gods. So I, I think one of the more interesting of these is Baal and how mm -hmm. Baal, Baal, the word, so the word Baal meant, uh, meant basically Lord, right? Yes. But later on, Baal, B-A-A-L, B 
became the name of a head demon, a chief demon. Another version of the another version of the name Ball was uh, Ball Zebul, which was uh, Ugaritic, Ugaritic for Lord of the Home or Lord of the Heavens. And literally, this is hilarious. The name of a demon was chosen by a pun. Because Ball Zebul is very close to the word Ball Zebub, which means uh-huh. Lord of the Flies. Right. And so. Bubba. Yeah. And so, um, basically, it's it's the, it's saying that well, Ball, you know, yeah, okay, Ball Zebul, Lord of the Heavens. Well, actually, no, Ball Zebub, Lord of, you know, crap. Literally translates to Lord of crap, is what they believe. So interesting, <laughs> right now. Other you versions. Have to sublimate, you have to sublimate it somehow. You do. Right? And if, some... you're, if you're a conquering religion, got to figure out something to do with it. Yeah. And so. Not that that's good. <laughs> not that conquering is good. Please don't not conquer. That conquering folks. and trying to sublimate others with religious tendencies is a good thing because it's not. Right. It's not. So that's one pathway. Let's keep our hands to ourselves, people. <laughs> <laughs> that's one pathway whereby these older spirits became kind of evil, became demons. Another pathway is by the, basically the overtaking of old mythology, something we've already touched on with mm-hmm. the idea of, you know, Pluto, um, this Lord of death becoming turned you know, turning into basically the ruler of the infernal place where souls go. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, but another version of that, that's pretty apparent is Loki, the idea of the trickster yeah. or a trickster element coming in and becoming sort of, an archetype for an evil spirit or a cunning spirit who mm. tricks you into making bad deals. That's another huge part of or, our demon lore. Or Tom Hiddleston. Right. Or Tom Hiddleston. <laughs> handsome, <laughs> handsome Tom Hiddleston. I'm telling you, man, if you are going to make a trickster God and you're like, Hey, you know what? We got to, we got to do something with the uh, Marvel universe. You got want some, some, some Tom Hiddle. I'm just saying. It's true. Sorry, continue. And if you're going to, you know, cast Loki, good choice. Solid choice. Solid choice. So, we... Where were we? Sorry. We <laughs> got lost in his dreamy eyes. What are, we, what are we doing over there again with that? Okay, yeah, no. I'm with you. I'm back. All right. So, we have this kind of, this, this bringing in of other faiths and turning them into something negative, but there was also a shifting or bringing in of other mythologies and folklore into something good. And what that ended up becoming was almost, and this happened before really a hierarchy of demons existed or this idea of um, demons as a kind of group willing to overtake heaven Mm -hmm. was this idea of, was this idea of divine elements or divine agents existing specifically to help Mm -hmm the Lord, the God in some way. And of course, in the Christian mystical context, these beings are what we today know of as angels. There isn't as much information out there on individual angels as there is on individual demons. And we're going to kind of get into that, the reason for that a little bit more in our episode on demonology, which will follow this one. But for the most part, what is most important about an angel, because it's not their individual even personality, that's almost something, a part of their being even, or their representation, what's most important is their rank or their role. And really, to understand the world of demons, the world of demonology, it it all stems and it all starts from angelology. It, It all starts from this idea of you have your angels, and then on the other side you have kind of the dark mirror of the angels, which is the demon. So you know what we got? We got ourselves a little hierarchy. Right. We sure we sure do, Marie. We got ourselves a hierarchy. So, okay. So, the first angelic hierarchy is really from uh, really from Judaism. And so, in Judaism, there were kind of these ideas about you know, uh, first off, this idea that there were messenger angels, envoys of God, and then angels of God. Right. They have this three. They have this kind of this classification of three. And obviously the number three in the number three in Christian mythology is super important. Right. It's the um, the father, son and the Holy Spirit. But it, it's it's been an important number 
it was an important number before Christianity, it seems. It, it, it's common in a lot of, you know, kind of common to like a, a good, evil, and then a middle path, I guess you'd say, right? So Yeah. Yeah. So uh, eventually that classification of demons, or a classification of angels, excuse me, uh, no, we're not even there yet. No, we're not even there yet. Your role there, Hoss. Bro- broadened with the work of uh, Maimonides. And so what he said was that there were these, there were 10 classes of angels. And he said that these were the Chayat HaKadesh, which were the angels of fire, the Ophanim, or the wheels, the Erelim, who were the warriors, the Hashmalim, who were literally described as the electricity of God, like these angelic balls of thunder and light, like it's lightning and, you know, thunder would yeah. crash and stuff. It's pretty cool. Then you had the Seraphim, the Malachim, the Elohim, the Bene Elohim, the Cherubim, and then the Ishim. And uh, those kind of were all, the, starting with the Seraphim and then the Malachim, they were meant to proclaim God's message, the Seraphim specifically to tell God how cool he was to himself. The Malachim, uh, messengers to humans to tell them how cool God was. Um, and then the rest of them, the Elohim, Beni Elohim, uh, Cherubim, and Ishim just kind of didn't seem to have any any job to do. They just kind of chilled. They were there They were there for, like, pizza runs and stuff, right? Yeah, which is cool. You know, they were kind of, you know, uh, coffee coffee boys, they were, right? They were, they were like the door dash for, uh, right. for God. Right. They didn't, even, they didn't even work on God's campaign. But. Um, <laughs> just coffee boys. But I mean, what's I think what's interesting is like you start with something relatively simple ish, right? I mean, right. before you had all these deities that were sort of each representing something different, and then you have this classification of angels, which again seems pretty self sufficient, and then all of a sudden it becomes sort of more of this hierarchy and more of this, you know, this uh, spectrum of different types that each have their own little albeit sort of mysterious niche of what they're supposed to be doing. Sure, yeah. And so uh, it is it is interesting, and that doesn't really get... So Marie is... One thing that Marie is hinting at here mm-hmm. is this classification of angels of the celestial world of, of heaven and hell and whatever. Um, it, it suggests something else. It suggests that we are trying to learn about in a systemic way, something that previously was just about belief. Yes. I was hinting it, at it. It's a little bureaucratic. It is. It is a little bureaucratic, but that's, but that's what I'm saying though. Right. Is yeah. that, um, what basically in the beginning of this kind of story, in the beginning of my, of, of religions, it seems at least we really wanted, uh, we really wanted earth to be like the heavens. We really wanted to think that, Welcome to Anthology of Heroes, the podcast that explores the most pivotal moments of history through the eyes of those who lived it. In this podcast, we don't spend our time recounting facts and dates. Instead, we follow in the footsteps of national heroes, kings, or ordinary people who lived and breathed the moments that shaped our world. We're not hemmed in by eras, borders, or religions. Instead, we seek out the tales of those who defied the odds and fought passionately for their beliefs. Whether they're right or wrong is up to you to decide. From Vercingetorix's doomed rebellion against Rome, to Osceola's unshakable war against the USA, all the way up to the inspiring Sobibor concentration camp uprising in World War II, each episode is an immersive listening experience, blending music and sound effects to really draw you into the story. Our episodes go for about 45 minutes, making them perfect for your commute, and are crafted using a wealth of historical sources which I list on our website if you want to learn more. I'm the host, Elliot Gates, and I'm thrilled to have you joining me as we uncover history's hidden gems and illuminate the faded pages of our past. Look out for the Anthology of Heroes podcast on Spotify, Apple Music, or anywhere else you get your podcasts from. The gods were just kind of more powerful versions of humans, but they still exist. They weren't really humans, but, you know, more powerful Mm -hmm. conscious beings. They were conscious. They had about the same kind of level of consciousness as we did. You know, more powerful, more capable, but still basically humans with with superpowers. Yeah, right? and they would make they would make mistakes like humans. They had human ego. You know, exactly. They weren't, they weren't particularly divine. Right. And then with with though uh, with the onset of monotheism, so religions with a single god, that distinction between God 
and humans becomes tremendous. God goes from being this, you know, Zeus who's out there kind of, you know, laying pipe all over the countryside, right? Um, you know. Whoa. There goes the family show rating, Sorry, well, Okay, the kids don't know. Zeus was a great plumber. So uh, you just, you know, you went from these stories of the gods making mistakes and getting tricked by humans and doing stupid things and whatever yes. to, you know, God is jealous. a... They were vengeful. Right, to, to God being a perfect being who, by definition, everything God does is right. Like, God is the... There is no longer a separation between the gods and moral good or, or good as its own kind of thing. Everything God does, the God does, is by definition good. And if it seems bad to you, you just can't understand it. Yep. Yep. It's part of the bigger plan. And with that... that fathom, yep. With that distinction between God and man... There was a, you know, you can just imagine you went from having this God that you could just kind of go down to, you know, the gods of like the, the Greco-Roman world or the gods mm -hmm. of Egypt or the gods of, you know, uh, any of these other areas you, yeah. you, you had a connection to. You could go speak to a priest and you could summon them. You could conjure them and do things. And there was a chance yeah. that they would come down and mess with you. What? And the stories around them or the, you know, the parables, the fables around them were just really, they were relatable, right? Because they right. were teachings. Yeah, it sounded like stuff you could do. Human-y <laughs> teachings. Yeah, just like, again, you know, any, any, yeah, if you were jealous of something or if you were, you know, had greed, there was, a, there was some sort of equivalent God story that would reflect that with the, the outcome of why your behavior, of what your behavior would reap, right? right. But it was relatable. Yeah, and, and so the part so of this... we imagine as such, yes. Right, right. But so I think that part of that bureaucracy then that you're kind of hinting mm -hmm. at is more about making... So God is no longer relatable, but his agents could be. Semi. And having... They're still sort of... They're, they're still, still sort of faceless, like... Terrifying. <laughs> or yeah. faceful, but they're still sort of like... I don't know. There's, there's definitely a... a bureaucracy and a hierarchy like if i'm a seraphim i don't ever get to go and you know chill with the chariots or with the with the whatever you know i never get to like i that is my station i uh -huh. there's no mobility there is no that is there's no change right i can't i that is that is what i am going to be doing for my lot in this whole grand celestial you know story and and that's actually part that's actually part I think of the other reason that the bureaucratization mm -hmm. of kind of God's paradise or hell or whatever occurred was because they wanted like Saint Thomas Aquinas talked about how there was the kingdom mm -hmm. of heaven and the kingdom of earth and they should be uh, we should model one after the other mm -hmm. you know and so this idea that well even angels got to take orders from somebody. Yeah. Right, even even God's got people that just hang around telling him how cool he is. Uh, you know, it 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 really makes the case for monarchy in particular. <laughs> yeah, well, it definitely makes the case of like we don't need any upstarts, you know, we don't need anybody kind Absolutely. of questioning any of this stuff. Cuz as soon as somebody starts questioning something, that's when you get the flip side of the entire equation. Absolutely. And so that is part of kind of the So we're now talking about the timeline or the time of kind of monarchies becoming more and more important. We're talking about, you know, this was when, um, so at this point now, so the Judaic Christian, the Judaic writings came out. Um, and then that was kind of the way that we thought of angels and thought of heaven and whatever, basically until the writings of pseudo Dionysus, the Arapagate. Now mm -hmm. this guy wrote, this person, we don't know if it was a guy. This cat. This person wrote uh, wrote a series of works known as the Corpus uh, Corpus Dionys Dionysicum, mm -hmm. also known as the Corpus Areopagitissum. But that I don't know where Areopagit is, but I wouldn't want to have to explain it to a pizza delivery guy. Um, but anyway, so the, they're they're called we the got, Dionysian. We have angels for that, right? Sorry. They're called the, the Dionysian writings, yeah. and he was writing. Uh, he was writing somewhere around uh, sort of the fifth to sixth centuries. 
And his work are really where we get the beginnings of kind of the Christian idea of, of how heaven was laid out, how, how the bureaucracy of angels existed. And this was coming about during the Middle Ages. So this was a time period where you had, you know, monarchies throughout the world or throughout the European world, at least, which is, again, where this series is kind of focusing. Mm-hmm. You had uh, you also, though, had the idea of naturalism starting to become more prevalent. The idea of to understand the natural world, we had to study it. We had to classify it. We had to put it into its own domains. And so theologians were thinking along the same lines, because a lot of the times the theologians were, in fact, the naturalists, were the scientists doing that kind of work was, well, if we can categorize the way that things happen on Earth, what if we look back through the, the Bible, look back through these, uh, these texts of religious teachings to pick apart ways that we can actually classify the heavenly, uh, heavenly na- nature as well? And so Pseudo-Dionysus, in his book, uh, De Celestia Hierarchia, or The Celestial Hierarchy, came up with this idea of the spheres of angels, and also kind of the, the, the dominions of demons, mm-hmm. and uh, specifically had three spheres of being, and then within those, th- those three spheres were three kind of levels of angels. <laughs> and what we're going to find is that this kind of hierarchy of three, of, of three and, and this general idea of a hierarchy uh, also exists in demonology as well, and it's really how demonology gets its classification system, because the thought being if angels or if demons are simply in some ways angels that have fallen, Mm -hmm. uh, then why wouldn't they continue to hold their ranks? So, okay. Our first sphere, Marie, it was a lateral move in a lot of respects. (laughs) Like going from, uh, like going from Lyft to Uber. Kind of. Okay. You're, you're like a manager, but you don't manage people necessarily. And all of a sudden, you know, you're like a senior assistant, but you've got four people under you. Okay. Right. Right. All right. So our, our first sphere coming in at number one, we have the seraphim. Oh, the seraphim. All right. Now, if you remember from oh, about 10 minutes ago, we said that in the uh, the Jewish tradition, the seraphim are actually kind of a middle class of angels. They're not the highest, they're not the lowest, they're just kind of in the middle. The Christian uh, Christian angelology flips that on its head. They say that the seraphim are the highest level of angels. These are, uh, they have six wings, which is terrifying. And excessive. And they, and they are. And not they very are. ergodynamic. I mean, like... What's the wind like? Uh, okay, never mind. And they are and they are covered in flames. Mm. Which so, is good if you have wings because you want to be covered in flames. Absolutely, you got to know you're going fast. Mm. Uh, the seraphim have they have so the six wings. They have wings that are kind of where you'd expect wings to be, kind of off to the side. Mm-hmm. They have wings that cover their face, yeah. and then wings that cover their feet. Mm. Kind of interesting. Um, these angels, uh, their specific role is to uh, literally kind of be a, their choir at God's seat, at the throne of God, mm-hmm. who proclaim to God how one, you know, they, they're literally stated as saying, uh, they just proclaim, holy, 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 holy is the holy, Lord. Holy, holy, yeah. Right? Awesome. And again, like choir is not something that necessarily sings, just to be clear. Choir is uh, united voices that are kind of normally like like literature and stuff, they're moving the story along or they're the uh, exposition. So they're sort of like God's exposition, right? Right. In so so in, in if if the universe was Arrested Development, the seraphim would be... Uh, yes, it would. What's his face? I don't even know. That oh guy. God. You know who I mean. Opie, yes. You know, you know, Job, uh, Job, you know, Job will be like, oh, I'm, I'll get back at you, Michael. He didn't, right? And so he didn't. He didn't. So uh, those are the seraphim. Now, amongst the seraphim are probably the, the angels that you know if you're listening to the show and you were raised uh, Catholic or just kind of raised in the Western world. You know, um, you have, this is where uh, uh, the archangels exist, the arc, capital A, so the head angels. Yes. This is where they exist. Now, it's going to get a little confusing because later on we're going to talk about archangels, which is just kind of a... It just means second level of angels, basically. Um, they're like the angels lowercase above the a. angels. Right, lowercase a. 
but in the Seraphim are the uh, the six angels, four of which you probably know the names of. Those are um, Raphael, Uriel, uh, Gabriel, and Michael. Yes. Okay. Uh, so the Seraphim also then are the ones that the Beatles. do. They can oh, right. They kind of do God's most important work. Mm-hmm. Um, this, I, you know, there's two of them that we don't know the names of. I assume those are Shemp, and um, this one and that one. I don't know. I don't know another name of a famous like trio that had a fourth member that they didn't name. But Shemp and Shempy, those are the the two other angels. Um, Harpo, Harpo and Shemp. Harpo Groucho. What was the other ones? Oh Jesus. Harpo, literally. Oh, um, we don't know, Marie. Right, we don't know. We don't. We don't. We don't That's know. why. That's why. Okay. The it's next got level. Deep roots, people. The next level of angels are the cherubim. The cherubim. Now, when you think of a cherub, Marie, what do you think of? I think of a cute little fat baby with rosy cheeks and tiny little wings that right. should not be able to fly. No. Yep. Uh, okay. Now, this is how they are actually described in angelology. Ready? Let's let's just. We're gonna put these side by side, listeners. I want you to see if you can pick yep. out which one is the, uh, which which one is which. So we got cute babies on one side. Mm-hmm. Okay, the cherubim are described as having four faces: Ooh. that of a man, an ox, a lion, and an eagle. They then have a number of conjoined wings, sometimes shown as four, sometimes shown as six. The wings are covered in eyeballs. God. Uh, they guard excessive? the way to the tree of life and the throne of God. And uh, St. Thomas Aquinas believed that Satan was a cherubim before the fall, although uh, others, other theologians, and I think kind of a modern sort of pop culture view is that Satan was a seraphim, was one of the archangels like Michael. Yeah, Um, well, Milton, right? Milton, everybody after him pretty much. Yeah. Yeah, so, so different, different than the babies. Different than the babies in that they had several different faces and eyeballs all over their wings. What why, I, why with the eyeballs over all over the wings and several th- different faces? Like, isn't that not to question, not to question the divine on this one. I'm just sort of curious. Like, it seems like if you have, okay, again, <laughs> maybe it's a bit of a rabbit hole, but if you have wings and they're covered in feathers and eyeballs, isn't it just a constant irritation? Isn't well, it just a, constantly like you're like ah oh, i've got something in my eye it's a feather yes well, think about how bad we it hurts to have think about how bad it hurts to have your eyes open for a long period of time and have them dry out oh my god yes and they're just flapping, flapping the wings yeah and then you they're covered in they're covered in yeah it does yeah, it's just i'd rebel too yeah it just seems a little like it just seems a little painful it seems a little um I don't want to say excessive but I, i'm still not it's a myst- it's a mystery it's a mysterious ways that, right. Well, that, yes. What's fascinating about this, though, because I don't know, I don't know how you feel about this view, Marie, but there, this idea is out there in kind of the mm. the mm-hmm. weird internet, let's say, Sweet. where there's this idea that angels are actually, you know, a- aliens, and so are demons, right? Demons and are, are angels, and aliens are well, oh, still. They're all why the would same they thing. have eyes all over? All well, so of, okay. Keep and going. so I think I think the argument would be that they are. Uh, it's like a it's like a H.P. Lovecraft almost like. Uh, astral horror, right? Like they come yeah. out of another dimension and they appear at, you know, our, your brain makes up or your brain tries to make sense of what it's seeing, but it can't. And so it comes up with this horrible uh, mismatch, you know, mix, mix them up of uh, animal parts and human parts. Um, Which should terrify wh- you and not just make it, w- make you want to go get some Visine for it. I mean, <laughs> right. Do you know what I mean? It's like, yeah, I think, I think the idea of the eyes is that, um, is that they're supposed to be kind of watchers, like they're supposed to be guards? No, uh, yeah, and I, I'm and down I with also, the symbolism. I just, it's, I love it. It's just like it's, it's, it's very it makes strange. no sense. It just makes no sense. No, uh, and so the this is actually a good point though. The faces mm-hmm. of the man, the ox, the lion, and the eagle are are actually then by later uh, theologians and kind of philosophers ascribed to be representative of the four. Uh, the four books of the Bible. Okay. Even though there were a bunch before, right? Matthew, like, I don't Mark, know, maybe Luke, the John, right, right? Exactly. And so that's the man, ox, lion, and eagle are supposed to be representative of those four uh, apostles, right? Of those four writers. I like, guess not really apostles, but you know what I'm saying? Apostles. Yeah. But that was the book yeah. of the, well, yeah, 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 yeah. 
Right. So maybe Enoch is one of the eyes and Tobit is another eye. Dude. They're apocryphal books. I don't know. Okay. What's up with that? Okay. The next, the next level is one is Marie's favorite, I think. It is my favorite. You want to talk about not understanding what we were just talking about while they should be cute little chubby babies with tiny little wings. This just, just, just is the palate cleanser of all palate cleansers, in my opinion. All right. This is the thrones. Yeah. Now, there's a little bit of dispute amongst theologians, uh, even when this stuff was first written. What are, the, what are the thrones? Are the thrones the things? So, okay. In the book of Ezekiel, there's a description of, or in the story of Ezekiel, rather, there's a description of uh, him seeing God um, along with some messengers of God, one of which are a wheel within a wheel, mm-hmm. all covered in eyeballs, and mm-hmm. like glowing orange and making a terrible noise. Dope. <laughs> some, the- some theologians say that that is a classification of angels known as the thrones. They, are, they appear to humans as a living symbol of God's justice and God's authority. Now, yes. other, other interpretations have said that's crazy. You know, why would God make such, <laughs> make such a horrible thing? Um, they need some feathers. Right. We've got to add some feathers to them. So the thrones, some people argue or some arguments are made that the thrones are actually kind of like a, a connection to the cherubim. And so the cherubim um, control the throne. So there's a quote. Uh, there's basically a quote that says that the, when the when the cherubim moved, the thrones moved as well. Hmm. And so this idea that they're connected because the, the throne itself is said to have within its glowing center is the spirit of a cherubim. Uh, it, so hmm. in, in in the interpretations of uh, Dionysus, the thrones were described as being elderly men who, uh, be, you know, again, kind of are within the court of God. If you're thinking about this like a monarchy, you've mm-hmm. God on his throne, you have the seraphim kind of as his advisors singing his praises and speaking to him, the cherubim as kind of his royal guard, and then mm-hmm. the thrones are uh, sort of the nobles, I guess you'd say in a weird way. Like where the, uh, like the fates almost too. Right, yeah. Ways. Yeah, so they, they take yeah. in they take in the prayers and problems of humans from lower angels and kind of bring them to God and the higher angels attention. Yeah. Um, it's sort of their, their point or their, their rule within the celestial hierarchy. Yeah. Like I think of throne, not as in the literal seat or chariot as in the literal vehicle, but the mechanism in which God is able to sort of regulate and understand the human world, right? Like the wheel of fate you have the wheel of fate. You have like the the old. If they're seen as old people, it's almost like again, like it's it's like the fates. It's like sort of tying this idea of of um, a free will and of fortune and everything together into a Christian iconography. Mm, that's interesting because it's not yeah. like it's not like you could sit on it. It's not like it, it's. I don't even think it's is a chariot. It's supposed to. Yeah, a wheel is supposed to move, but a wheel is supposed to. More than anything else, it turns, so it's showing sort of day to night. It's showing, it's showing old or young to old. It's showing sort of the, uh, your 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 entirety of your fate, not just for one person, but for the for humanity. So that's that's the the scope and sort of the gravitas of God's reign is how mm-hmm. I look at it. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I, I think that is. I think that you know, so okay, getting or it's just a really sweet vehicle. I was one or the other. It could go one way. It could could be like a a a Nova, like a '67 Nova. (laughs) Which is dope. Very specific. Okay. Oh my god. Okay, sorry, but like, yeah, it's like, I like like Game of Thrones. I can't even think of it like it's the power of the god, but it's it's specific to. When you talk about like a wheel, it becomes specific to not just the throne and the seat of the power, but the power that is constantly the constant the constant motion of the power that he or she possesses. Right. Yeah. I think I think if we were going to get real Game of Thrones with it, I think the, oh, yeah. the I think the seraphim would be like uh, the king's. Uh, what's the what are the, the group of people that hang out like the king's hand and then the king's the hand, court, that, yeah the court right the court, right. the court of the king the people that are right. there to advise him the king's advisors yes. the cherubim are like the god the king's um, the guard right yeah the royal guard of the king the mm-hmm. thrones then are I think uh, 
uh, I think you'd almost say the thrones are similar to say, um, uh, I don't know, maybe Littlefinger and yeah. the Magi and the magistrates yeah. and right. Like those again, kind of lesser people that are still close to the King that are still close to the head rulers and everything, but who are primary, their primary role is to take in the problems of the, of the, of the kind of, uh, the people and bring them to the Lord. And so translate um, them into something exactly. the Lord can understand. Yes. Right. Exactly. So I love how we just turned it into Game of Thrones. Just in case. I mean, well, it's it's more understand- there's any gray area out there for anybody. Honestly, it's it's pretty. Exp- I think it's pretty. Uh, what's the word? I think it's pretty good. <laughs> so uh, the second sphere are the heavenly governors of creation. Governor. The yeah, and so this literally like the first of this sphere are the dominions or known as the lords, the lordships. These are these are who I would consider to be like Ned Stark, right? And and kind of uh, you know not Robert Baratheon, but you know the the heads Baratheon of their large one, at one point, yeah, right. Baratheon at one house. point, but you know the Martells, the the heads um, of yeah, your 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 uh, banners, exactly these are the banners, yes, exactly. These are kind of the heads of those banner houses who pledge allegiance still to. Uh, to the main god, to the main king. To the one um, throne, yes. But they have more of their own allegiance, right? So yes. um, the uh, dominions are their leaders and governors of the lower angels. Um, and these are these are the ones that start to look more and more like, th- these ones basically look like what you imagine an angel looks like. They're particularly splendid, right? They're uh, radiant, beautiful, what's it, you know, whatever. Shiny. And they also have uh, a particular, what, what sets them apart is that they have a, a glowing orb um, on their person somewhere that represents their, their title or, or space above the other angels. Mm. Um, the next are the virtues also known as the strongholds. These mm. angels are the ones that uh, these are now we're starting to get into angels that actually interact with humans on a regular basis. So the virtues or strongholds are the ones that give uh, basically give signs from God and, and cause miracles to occur. So uh, these kind of, again, we, we gone from the seraphim who you would very rarely, if ever see, you know, even in a, a millennia to uh, the virtues or strongholds who, you know, once every 20 years, maybe right. They For some sh- people, maybe they more, show up like, in a piece of toast, right? <laughs> these are the ones that are burning the toast. Well, yeah, so, they sh- you know, I, you know, like that, there's the, the, you know, the, the Virgin Mary in a in a piece in a piece of toast or whatever it is, right. you know, it's like that, it's a, those are kind of like they they witness the miracles kind of thing. <laughs> right. One of the angels got hit on the head by someone's <laughs> scepter and is like toast. Okay. The next one are the powers. Oh, dude, we're going straight to hell. Sorry. I'm telling you, <laughs> the next level are the powers, also known as the authorities, uh, and these are the ones that really the fortress. It, it goes. It, so it goes from. Uh, okay, so we're, we're gonna get this in the end, but the powers and authorities—they're—they have a number of different jobs. These are the kind of like the working; these are the the workhorses of the angel classes, right? And this is really where it starts to go from, say, you know, a more, a more again, a more noble kind of, you know, uh, you can think the seraphim or the cherubim probably have very soft hands because they don't work out in the field a lot. But the powers yeah, or authorities, heavy lifting. Yeah. right? The powers or authorities are the ones that are really getting out there. Right. So uh, their jobs are numerous, like I said, but so move the planets and stars. So they're in charge of keeping the firmament kind of moving and keeping order on the planet labor. Um, They were also a warrior class. So not only are they in charge of kind of keeping the order on Earth, but literally keeping the balance of good and evil kind of in place. Right. So um, these are the ones that, uh, you know, fight demons or dark spirits regularly. Um, and they're also meant to be keepers of historical records. They are the bearers of conscience. And, um, they also are in charge of kind of distributing power to mankind, but in a, in a general sense, kind of like, you know, um, you know, Hmm. mankind moves all at once kind of stuff. So, uh, so interesting. They're so different. And so does, do one of these like, uh, authorities ever get to, be like, hey, you know what? I'm done moving planets for a little while. I'd like to put in for a transfer. No. Move over and be like, I don't know. Maybe it'd be kind of cool to hang out and just, you know, chat with, with the other angels and God and be like, hey, guys. So, you know, I saw something really good on Netflix. I never get to talk about that. Like, do they ever like, 
Does that ever happen? I never get to talk about Luke Cage. I never get to talk about, I never get to talk about like how the Marvel Universe is doing in a smaller platform. And it's interesting. (laughs) It's doing great. Doing wonderfully. It's Uh, doing pretty good. No. So actually, it's funny. The powers or the authorities are said to have never, uh, there's never supposed to have been a power or authority who has ever fallen from grace. These are, there are no demons who were ever powers or authorities. Um, right, because they are the power and the authority of God. So if you have, and if you think about like literally, if a power yeah. and authority of God falls, that's sort of the the straw man argument that's now not going to hold. Yeah. Right. So I so I would so again I would say you that this some is Namby Pamby, you know, soft handed archangel, you know, maybe <laughs> take everything down through his you know questioning and weakness of spirit, but not the power and the authority. No, absolutely not. So I would say again, it's it's kind of a. And they're a, busy doing stuff. That's the other thing. <laughs> they're they're so busy. busy running the place. All right, they're too busy to question God's authority. Oh, uh, they are literally too busy running the place. You, you have, uh, if you notice, and you're going to notice this, I guess, it, it's kind of a bureaucracy within a bureaucracy, right? So you have the you have the you know God is the CEO. Then you have kind of the you know, the other C's, the CFOs, the whatever, right? Mm. All that other stuff. God's like the chairman. They're like the board. God's like right. the board, right? And then exactly, like, oh, yeah. yeah. Well, no, so that's what I was going to say. God is like the CEO. Seraphim are like the board. The cherubim are like the CFOs, all those other people, whatever. And then oh, but the, the board th- can take out a CFO. Yeah, see, but the board, the board did try. And then... Oh, that's what... Oh, yeah, spoiler yeah, alert. Yeah, that's, that's what I'm saying. True. Yeah, see? It's perfect, Holy smokes. Okay, sorry. Um, I shall not question your... That was fun. Your, your, your corporate analogies. <laughs> no, it's fine. Um, I'm gonna banish you to. Uh, I'm gonna banish you. That's it. So it's pretty all, sad that we know how to that we know how to to spin a good corporate analogy too. You're welcome, viewers, you, listeners. Bad. So, uh, and, right. So the Dominions are kind of like the local managers, the local branch managers. Um, the powers and the authorities, the way that I kind of view them, are almost more like the almost like the sheriffs of. Um, yeah, the sheriffs of kind of the, the godly realm, right? Yeah. So, all right. So next we have the third sphere, which are the heavenly guides, the protectors and the messengers to humans. These are the ones you see a lot, right? Or a lot. These are the ones that have interactions with humans every day. If you believe any of this stuff at all, right? Mm-hmm. So, um, the first level are the principalities or the rulers also known as the princes. Um, these ones are, uh, their job is to guide and protect uh, nations, the church, um, kind of, they're, they're kind of in charge of like big groups of people, right? Uh, they wear a crown in particular. So that's how you're able to tell them apart. They also are in charge of kind of inspiring and teaching humans, arts and sciences. Um, mm-hmm. and so a lot of the principalities and rulers, a lot of the princes will go on to fall with Lucifer and become, uh, become demons because of their close interaction with humans. Right, because they, they teach humans things we're not supposed to know, or they, uh, you know, they teach humans other things that then cause them to desire to become human or desire to have humans in some way or another. So um, these ones have a lot of interaction with humans uh, in theory, but uh, they're not often observed is kind of mm-hmm. an interesting thing as mm-hmm. well. So the next level then is with the little a archangels. These are the ones that are specifically messengers of God and God's kind of will. These are the ones that are the most well-known to people generally throughout history. Although, again, that name is misinterpreted a lot. These are not the Archangel Michael or Gabriel or whatever. Capital A Archangels. These are Right. Uh Right. This is little a. This is like the mini Archangels. Um, And then finally, you have your regular... Archangels. (laughs) Finally, you have your, your own regular old angels who are the lowest class of celestial beings... These are the ones that you, you know, again, if you pray, if God does things for you, if, um, you know, if you've ever felt like you were being protected by something, um, this would be the class of angels that you might subscribe that to, right? This is where the guardian angels are pulled from, not the dumb ones with the berets, but the ones with wings. Oh my Um, God. New, yeah, nice New York (laughs) 70s, 1970s reference. Curtis Lewa, Thank you. And, um, and, and so... And there's just loads of different types of angels, right? This is kind of, the angels are sort of like the. That's exhaustive, though. I mean, just to have that many different classes of anything. Well, there's a huge. Yeah. There's a tremendous amount of them, and 
uh, all of this all this bureaucracy, all this hierarchy. What's fascinating is it it doesn't really do a lot for it doesn't really do a lot to change the way that we uh, worship God, right? Yeah, so no, no. you you'd think because again there is a uh, what well, doesn't big, speak to faith, right? Well, I mean, none of it has anything to do with your faith. No, but I guess I guess so. I guess the point I'm trying to get at is a big the biggest push to get to from monothe from polytheism, which we which most societies had um, for you know the bulk of their history to the relatively recent incursion of monotheism was getting rid of the individual gods and replacing them with, with single gods, right? With single, all powerful, all knowing gods. Mm -hmm. The angels almost seems like a angels and demons, you know, demons make sense. Demons. It's like, yeah, okay. We took over, you know, I took over this country. Their God is a demon. Now my God is the good one. Right. Yeah. That makes logical sense. Where do the angels fit into that? Because it doesn't seem to make sense to have a you know a slightly lower class of celestial beings, right? Like what what if a human were to pray to an angel, an archangel? Is that blasphemy because they have another god? What mm -hmm. what does it mean to have right? So there's this mm -hmm. there's this mm -hmm. question, and so when when these stories of angels really started to become popularized and this idea of angels came about, theologians had to kind of had to scramble almost to put angels in their place in some way. Right. And yeah. to say like, no, they are not as great as God. And in fact, the thought that an angel could be as good as God is going to become the most ultimate sin that any being in the universe could commit. And that is where we are going to pick up Next episode, Marie. Excellent. I'm so excited. I'm Ken Harbaugh, host of Warriors in Their Own Words, a podcast that presents the unvarnished, unsanitized truth of what we have asked of those who defend this nation. As a country, we need these stories more than ever. Stories from Americans who have borne the battle, including 30-year-old remastered interviews with veterans from World War I recounting their time in the trenches of Europe, and with veterans from World War II, Korea, Vietnam, and from our most recent conflicts in Iraq, Afghanistan, and other battlefields Americans may never have heard of. Hear their stories by listening to Warriors in Their Own Words wherever you find podcasts.